Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Spinning back to the open side. Karim Betet. Up the goal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Betet. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Match reviews, player interviews, and quality rugby chat that is consistent and positive. We do it all for you, our dear listeners. I'm your host, Ando, and with me is Mitch, and tonight we're going to be covering a lot of rugby. We're going to start off with a news update. We're going to give our thoughts on round three of Super Rugby Pacific. We'll focus on the match of the week as voted by you, which was the Fijian and Drua versus Crusaders. And we're going to go through an absolutely jam-packed locker room. So there's a lot to get through, Mitch. How are you, my friend? Yeah, very good. Lots of uh, lots of rugby over the weekend. I got through most games and unfortunately, the one game that I wasn't able to catch due to a, a, a personal birthday party was the uh, Crusaders and Drua game. So I've had to get through that as quick as I can this afternoon after work and then be ready for the pod tonight. So well, I've got extensive nice notes on the other games of the round. <laughs> good, mate. Well, I've gone through in heaps of detail with the... Uh, Drew a Crusaders match, so together by our powers combined, we will be totally fine. Why don't you take us through the tipping results before we finish off with what we need to start with? Fantastic. So just a a plug for our tipping comp. We are using Super Rugby Pacific, the official tipping comp this year. We're no longer on Super Brew. So if you are interested in joining us, there's still time. It's only round three. Do um, look on our socials for a link to join the tipping comp. But well done to those people that have done well this weekend. I think I'm current, like there's 250-ish people in our comp and I'm like 150th, so I'm down the bottom. But well done to Banana Split 667 or Nicholas G, who's in top spot on 16 points, followed by Daniel McKenzie uh, or Daniel B. His name's Daniel McKenzie, so uh, or his team's name on 15 points. And then we've got Dan G or Jojo Rabbit in third place, also on 15 points. Brilliant. So well done, everybody there. And thanks so much for everybody who's getting involved. We've got over 250 people in that competition, which means that you and I will just get shown up by more and more people every week, which is a load of fun. Every single week. I'm I'm about 40 places above you in a highly um, mediocre 111th or something like that. So with our final things we're going to cover, our usual calls to action and uh, looking for you guys to jump on in, particularly in our Discord community so join our discord channel i think it is the best australian rugby community going around the conversations the chats the banter the positive and informed rugby opinions that are coming 
our left, right, and center there are just a joy to be a part of. So go to any of our social media profiles and the join link will be available there. And then lastly, please consider going just to- Just to pull out to some of the discussion that came out this week on our Discord. For those that are playing along and those that were in the discussion, we'll know what we're talking about. But Ando is currently wearing his Melbourne Rebels <laughs> training top. So uh, since the Waratahs weren't able to get the victory, he is wearing it. So if you- you are listening to the podcast. Do make sure you check us out on YouTube where you can see Ando in all of his Melbourne Rebels glory. It's all for you. And um, for anybody listening as well, make sure that a fella named Simo never supports your team because if he does, they lose. Uh, so we'll just put that out there too. Now, in terms of uh, the second call to action, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash rugby and supporting us with a one-off or a monthly payment. The um, support that we have from a number of people is incredibly valuable for basically keeping the lights on and the servers up and all that kind of thing. So thank you, everybody. Mitch, we've got a lot to get through. Why don't we jump on into the news? Let's get into it. All right, it's time to talk some news now. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to get through some of the news with all of the rugby action and Super Rugby Pacific kicking off. So let's dive into what is happening around the grounds. And the first bit of news is Artie Surveyor has faced the judiciary and he has been given a one-match ban. Now, we haven't had a chance to talk about this on the podcast yet. It is a little bit of old news in some ways, and this week was the week that he was sort of stood down and he will be back next week against the Waratahs. But Ando, what are your sort of initial thoughts around the the sanction? Yeah, I think it's fair. I think it sent a message that this cannot be accepted or that type of action can't be accepted in this day and age. But at the same time, it wasn't kind of leaning into some of the over to- over-the-top hysterical takes that have been out there. So I feel like it was fairly balanced for someone who didn't actually like hurt anybody or do anything like racist or anything like that. And he also was immediately contrite afterwards and gave full apologies. So, yeah, look, I think it's fair. Move on. Lovely. All right. Well, he'll be back on the field this week against the Waratahs. Unfortunate that he wasn't given two weeks, just so that might help the the Tars <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But fair, anyway, fair um, we've, we've got some re-signing news. So a number of key players have, uh, I guess, signed with Australia or have announced that they will be looking to go overseas post-World uh, Cup 2023. So... In big news, um, Langy Gleeson has signed with the Waratahs in Australian rugby through to the end of 2025. Rob Leota has re-signed with the Melbourne Rebels and Rugby Australia through to the end of 2025. Alan Alatoa, um, Jed Holloway have both re-signed with their respective clubs and Rugby Australia through to the end of 2025. Taniel Tupo is probably the biggest signing uh, that has been announced in the last few weeks. He has signed in a bit of shock news to a lot of people. He's signed with the Melbourne Rebels, so he will be leaving the Queensland Reds at the end of this season, even though he won't even feature for them at all in uh, 2023. So he's played his last game for the Reds and he will be moving down to the Melbourne Rebels um, for next season. And he has signed on to stay in Australia until the end of 2025, which will see him in Australia um, for through to the 2025 Lions series. We also have Rob Valentini, who signed in to stay with the Rebel, uh, with the Brumbies and Australian Rugby through to the end of 2027. And Angus Bell, another long-term signing, sticking with the Waratahs and Australian Rugby through to 2027. Now, Ando, before I we dive into some of the players that are sort of rumoured or confirmed to be heading overseas, wh- what are your thoughts around which of these names sort of jump out to you and which ones are you really excited that are, are sticking around? 
I'm really excited that particularly Bobby Valentini is sticking around till 2027. That's a massive, well, the end of 27. That is a really, really good signing for probably the most important, or maybe not the most important, but uh, one of our best forwards within the national setup. So that's massive. He's only 24. So come around 2027, he'll be 28. He's still got another good four years in him after that. So it's incredible how good he is at this point. Um, one quick thing, it wasn't Langy Gleason, it was Matt Gibbon who was the first person who signed on until the end of oh. 2025. So it was just a bit of a mis, um, misspoken comment, but that's fine. And I think for Gibbon, it just, it's an amazing reward for somebody who's come into things kind of at the end of the year, and, and not the end of his career, that's wrong to say, but the latter part of his career. He, he's finding that sweet spot for props in kind of like the mid to late 20s where they really start to shine. And he's been he's been really good for the Rebels so far in the first three rounds of Super Rugby and was great for the Wallabies and the opportunities he had last year. So, so well done. I've got a soft spot for him because he's from Lismore and I've got um, some family that have moved up there. So we go there all the time and I love the fact that him and his brother are up there. And if you didn't get to see the aftermath of the Rebels game this weekend, he learned a, a, a sorry and sore lesson that you must wear a mouth guard in, in professional rugby. And the injury that he sustained to his front lip was gruesome. And if you are interested in seeing it, um, I'm sure Stan Sport have a lot of uh, footage on their socials. So do go, go over there and have a look at that if you're not too squeamish. Um, now, some of the other players that have been rumoured or confirmed to be heading overseas at the end of 2023 is Pete Samu. So uh, I'm not 100% sure whether it's confirmed that he has sort of signed pen to paper, but it's pretty much confirmed in in rumours and things that he's heading over to France at the end of this year. What are your thoughts around that departure? Oh, look, I think it's fair enough. Um, Supposedly he's going to be joining Bordeaux on a two-year deal after the World Cup this year. So, I mean, that puts him in line potentially for a return prior to the 2027 World Cup. But, I mean, he's 31, so that's, that's probably pushing things a little bit far. Considering his age, it... I'm completely understanding of this move. He stayed for the World Cup. He's going to go get a payday for the last few years of his career. He's got um, one young child and maybe looking, I don't know, if he wants to expand the family, he needs that payday particularly. So good on him. He's been a great servant for Australian rugby and particularly for the Brumbies as well. So yeah, good opportunity for him and he's staying for the World Cup. Um, All you could really ask for. Fantastic. Uh, moving along, the Australian Rookie of the Year for 2022 was announced last week, and it was Nick Frost from the Brumbies. So uh, he had a great breakout year, and a, another player that we're really happy to see has stuck around Australian rugby. He was nearly lost to us and did sign a, a contract with Japan and was able to sort of wiggle his way out of it, and he has been rewarded with the Rookie of the Year. So that's great to see. On on the injury front, some of the injuries that have happened, all the returns from injuries that have happened in the first few weeks of Super Rugby Pacific, we have Angus Bell, who is out for the rest of the foreseeable future. He's definitely going to miss the rest of Super Rugby Pacific, and he may miss some of the rugby championship this year with a re-injury of his toe ligament, the same injury that saw him miss the later half of the year with the Wallabies at the end of last year. So that's really disappointing to see he's re-injured that and he's not going to be able to put in a big shift for the Waratahs this year. Uh, We have Will Harrison, who is back from injury. He played... 15 minutes for Waratahs A last week against a warm-up match uh, against the Melbourne Rebels A side. So that was really good to see him back and running and, and sort of at full fitness. Um, there's potential that he might feature in the Hurricanes match this coming week 
Uh, Rob Liotta is out for the foreseeable future, is aiming for a return before hopefully the end of the Super Rugby Pacific season. Um, so hopefully we can see him back for the Rebels. Um, and at this stage, the Brumbies and the Rebels haven't put out any other further injury updates. So let's touch wood and hope that we don't have any um, re-injuries and that um, players coming back. Andrew Kellaways should be back in the next few weeks as well. Any yep. thoughts around those injuries, Ando? No, I think you've covered it all pretty well, mate. Um, I mean, the, it'll just tie into the big question of 10 and 15 and 12 for the Waratahs in terms of Harrison's return. Um, and I'm just really impressed to see how the Rebels are performing without players like Leota, Phillip and Callaway and the like. So I think it's really, really impressive what they've done to start the year, uh, despite not having a few of their key Wallabies players available. That's right. Uh, now, if we shift across to Super W, Super W is kicking off in a few weeks. So the 24th of March is the first round of the competition for 2023. There will be five rounds with a semi-final and a final. Um, the Waratahs are playing, or the, the Waratahs women are playing a doubleheader. Yep. Yeah, a doubleheader game with the Waratahs men uh, in two weeks' time against the Chiefs. When the, the Waratahs men play the Chiefs, the Waratahs women will be playing, I think they're playing the Rebels from memory. So... If you are around for that, do make sure that you can get there early and, and cheer on the Waratahs women as well. Um, in terms of some player announcements or some rewards, so the 2022 Wallaroos Player of the Year was announced as Georgina Friedrichs as well a few uh, last week. So a great um, announcement for her. Uh, and, yeah, she, she's been well rewarded for a good season. 100%. And uh, with the... With the Super W competition starting up, the double header for the Waratahs, they're going to be kicking off at around 5.05. So see if you can get the afternoon off work a bit early and get into the city. I'm basically going to be legging it from kind of the northern areas of Sydney into the city as quickly as I can because I want to be on the sidelines cheering them on as loudly as I can. Um, so that's going to be very, very exciting, very, very fun. See if you can get there for the five o'clock kickoff for that game. And I think the best part of Georgina Friedrichs being named the Wallaroos Player of the Year is we might get more social media from her where she has those mad, um, almost like oversized speed dealer sunnies. Like I just love those reflective <laughs> visors that she wears. Um, so more of that. Supposedly she's a great character within team as well as being a consummate professional on the pitch. So love that combination. And um, in other news for the women's game, the Wallaroos announced their fixtures this year uh, for 2023. I don't have them written down in front of me, so I'm not going to quote, quote them off the top of my head because I will get them wrong. But it what it was announced that there will be a double header when the Wallaroos will play Fijiana uh, in a test before the Waratahs. And from memory, I don't know which Waratahs game it is. Actually, it's just gone. So um, it's later in the year. So that's that's going to be a good opportunity for the the Wallaroos to get some tests in on Australian soil in front of Australian fans before they head off for the Pac-4 series later in the year. So I'll quickly jump in here. They're going to have eight test matches and it's the most the team actually play outside of a World Cup year over the last few years, which is brilliant. Uh, it's going to start with a match against the Fijiana on the 20th of May at Allianz where the Waratahs are playing the Drua. So that's just brilliant. Yeah. It's going to be an absolutely amazing experience for that. Um, they'll then kick off the O'Reilly Cup and the Pacific Four Series against New Zealand in Brisbane on June 29th. They then head to Canada for the final two rounds of the Pacific Four Series against the USA. Um, that's on the 8th and 9th of July. And then the following weekend, they then head to New Zealand um, for the second leg of the O'Reilly Cup, which is the 
Cup that's played between New Zealand and Australia uh, on the September the 30th. So lots of games, lots of involvement there. And the Pacific Four actually serves as a qualification for the World 15 competition with the top three teams advancing to the World 15 kind of tier one in October. So there's a lot to be playing for. Um, and a big thanks as well to Nathan Williamson from rugby.com.au, whose article I just read that directly from. So <laughs> I need to quote my source there. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> um, and if you need the details, then just go to rugby.com.au. They're all there. Uh, fantastic. So I will move across now into some international news and I'll get Ando to start Googling this because I've forgotten the name of the assistant coach, but E. Jones has named his first assistant coach um, for oh, his coaching setup. Ando's going to quickly jump on. Who was it again, Ando? Brett Hodgson. Is that right? The the NRL? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah former. Yeah. Yeah, the the names completely escape my mind. So I'm no, like, I'm, that doesn't didn't sound familiar to me. But okay, great. What are your thoughts around that? A, a league player, a league player. He did join Eddie Jones in England prior to Eddie getting sacked there. He's now come over and he's he's his first assistant coach um, for the Wallabies. What are your thoughts around his appointment? Yeah, look, I I guess I don't really have enough um, knowledge to comment about um, Hodgson particular like personally or particularly filling a role in the skills that he'll skills that he'll bring into that place. I mean, he's got a background in coaching within league over in England. He has definitely moved into that pathway clearly after he finished um, playing NRL where he was an absolute legend and star of the game. So yeah, I guess he's well credentialed in league circles, but it's hard to know how that's going to necessarily translate within the Australian rugby union setup. We do know that Eddie Jones does like um, having league defense coaches or assistant coaches. So he must know what qualities he's looking for and have identified them really well with his appointment. So I guess it's just a case of in ready, in ready, we trust. But I don't, unfortunately, have much more insight beyond that. In Eddie, we trust. Yep. <laughs> um, another rumor that is sort of swirling around hasn't been officially confirmed by Rugby, uh, Rugby Australia yet, but... The talk is that Scott Wisemantle is coming back as on like a part-time contract or a, um, what's the word? I'm thinking like a flexi sort of casual contract. He's not a full coach, but he comes in mm-hmm. for a contract. Or, Contractor. Anyway, he, contract. Yeah, contract's the word, I guess. He's coming in to do some work with Eddie Jones and the Wallabies um, at various times throughout the year. So that'll be good to have him back involved. And the other sort of rumor is that Beric Barnes is coming on as a kicking or skills coach for the Wallabies as well. So um be interesting to see how those coaches all work together and start to shape up. And Eddie still has a few positions like a defensive coach and a forwards coach that he needs to sort of lock down. So it'd be interesting to see how those appointments come in the next few weeks and how that team starts to kind of develop and gel together. Uh, we'll move across now into the other international news and we'll go through this really quickly because this is dragging on. But the All Blacks are set to name their next coach post um, Ian Foster in the next four to six weeks. Now, for a long time, it was sort of thought and common knowledge that Scott Robinson was going to get that post. But at the current time, there's three people that are sort of in in discussions to be taking over. So Ian Foster is not going to seek reappointment at the end of 2023. He He's announced that he will step aside and he won't sort of try and throw his hat in for the ring again. Um, Scott Robinson's one of the names. Jamie Joseph is another. And um, the Irish coach now is 
I've forgotten <laughs> his name as well. Um, yeah, I'm having an absolute mental point. Uh, Joe Schmidt. Joe Schmidt. That's it. Yes, Joe Schmidt. That's the other one. So they're the three names that are in sort of talks with New Zealand rugby at the moment. Scott Robinson has come out and sort of told the press that he's expected to be announced. And this was before Super Rugby kicked off in the coming days. From what we, we've heard, it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case. And so there's a lot of toing and froing going on behind the scenes in New Zealand rugby. And it seems like it's all a little bit sort of smoke and mirrors at the moment, but we will find out when we find out. And I mean, personally, if they don't go with Scott Robinson, I think it's going to be the complete wrong decision. But as an Aussie fan, I'm happy for them to make that decision. <laughs> Look, I, I find this interesting. I mean, I'm just quickly skimming through an article now where Joe Schmidt has now officially, as of yesterday, ruled himself out of applying for the All Blacks Oh, as job. of yesterday. I didn't see as that one. As of yesterday, okay. yeah. Um, so there's that. But, I mean, I've, I've been on this bandwagon for a little bit, right? So it's not that I inherently dislike Razor Robinson or anything like that. I don't know the guy. I've been in a press room with him once and he seemed nice enough. Um, but my kind of, my, my perspective is to be one of the top international coaches in the current game, generally there's an expectation that you need to have international experience beyond provincial success right? So you look at all the top coaches within the game right now, and they've all had experience in different areas or with different teams or in different setups across the world. Whereas what Scott Robinson done, he's worked within one of the best provincial setups in the world. The Crusaders have been the shining light of provincial rugby for the last couple of decades. I've only recently been overtaken by Leinster, according to Gainline Analytics. And so what Scott Robinson's done is he's been able to come into one of the best setups in the world and continue their success. And there's a lot of credit that he deserves for that, understandably and totally justified. But that doesn't immediately equate to international pedigree or international ability. And so I think if you're taking what is one of the most high-pressure jobs in world rugby, I'm not sure if he actually has the runs on the board and experience beyond that singular setup to justify that appointment. So I personally wouldn't be surprised to see New Zealand rugby actually go with Jamie Joseph, who has a much broader CV. He's done lots of good work with um, with J Japan rugby as well and is a well-credentialed and well-regarded mm -hmm. coach too. So for me, I think they're going to go Jamie Joseph, but who knows? I don't have enough insight into New Zealand rugby union and their decision-making process. I do, I do know that Razor Robertson has coached at the like the junior level internationally. Like he's mm. coached New Zealand under twenty ones and and the schoolboys and things through that pathway. So he has a little bit of experience there. But yeah, it will be interesting to see. There was a report and a rumor going around a few weeks ago that Robinson was going to take over the Fiji head coach and see them through to the end of twenty twenty three at the World Cup, um, which would give him that exposure and that um, experience at the international level, like you were talking about. Uh, it sounds like New Zealand rugby has vetoed that and they weren't allowing that to happen. So New Zealand, uh, Japan, uh, not Japan, Fiji <laughs> rugby has come out and announced that Simon Rail louis is their new head coach, which former Wallabies scrum coach. It's great to see his appointment um, moving through the, the pathways in, New Z in Fiji and, and sort of moving through the system, which is great. Um, but yeah, that sort of asks questions then is what's happening with Razor. We know he's finishing up with uh, the Crusaders at the end of this year, if he is overlooked for 
the All Blacks job at this year, where does he go? Where does he pop up? Does he take over from Jamie Joseph in Japan? Does he look at going overseas, um, popping up at one of the other nations, Georgia, USA, like they were in talks to get Eddie. So interesting to see what happens there. Um, If we just quickly, quickly skim through the results from Six Nations, there's been a massive upset. Well, maybe not so much an upset overnight, but just a a shock result. France went to Twickenham and absolutely pantsed England, 53 to 10, the biggest ever loss that England have ever recorded at at home in Twickenham. Um, It's the first time that France has won there since 2005. So that was a massive result in that fixture. We then had Wales um, ending their unbeaten streak, and I think it was their first victory under Warren Gatlin. Since his reappointment, they beat um, Italy 29-17. And then we have Scotland and Ireland that's still yet to be played tonight, so we don't have those results. Anything quickly on that before we keep going? Um, Look, in this moment, the Waratahs lost over the weekend. I was incredibly sad about that, but then I woke up to the news that England got spanked. So I went and watched the game, and that made my weekend immeasurably better. So it's it's been a great weekend. And uh, they're still f- managing to find ways to blame Eddie Jones for this loss. I mean, don't don't ask me how it possibly could be his fault anymore. But you know, let's put all the blame on Eddie. Exactly. Well, mate, let's finish it off there. Thanks, everybody. This has been our noteworthy news segment. We'll do it every few weeks, but it's great to just catch up on some of the talking points within the game. So let's move on now to our round three wrap up. That's cool. This week we had round three of Super Rugby Pacific and the matches kicked off on Friday afternoon with the Chiefs hosting the Highlanders. The Chiefs hoping to keep their unbeaten start to the season alive, particularly after their impressive win over the Crusaders in round one. And look, this went the way that everybody expected, a 28-7 to win against the Highlanders. Mitch, thoughts, comments, was this the way that you saw this match going? I think the the first comment I've got, and this is sort of the general comment for the whole round, is that we're starting to get an, a sense of who the, the movers and shakers in the comp are. There's some teams that are performing sort of below average, and there's some teams that are performing above average. And the Chiefs in this encounter were one of those. They They didn't necessarily come into this game and blow everyone away like they did in the Crusaders game earlier in the season. But particularly towards the end of that second half, they really started to click and look a lot more clinical when the Highlanders started to make errors and allow them to play the the style of rugby they wanted to play. Uh, And, I mean, they're three from three so far, and they're looking really sharp. Yeah, they did really well. So, Sean Stevenson with a double, Etienne Anaisaturo as well. Damien McKenzie pulling the strings from fly half with pretty much an overwhelming possession and territory advantage. Highlanders only making 77% of their tackles, which is really not good enough at this level. I always highlight that, but it's really important if you are expecting to I'm have sure a it'll be highlighted when we get to the locker room later in the year, in, uh, in the yeah. pod, but geez, do we need to start that discussion of does New Zealand really have the talent for five or six super <laughs> rugby teams? I mean, the Highlanders just, have conceded oh, at least yep. 40 points a game. It's, in the first it's so games. fun. It's so fun to bring that up again, not because I actually believe it, just to rub it in Kiwi people's faces or Kiwi administrators' faces is more to the point, actually. Um, anyway, so let's move on from yep. that game because it was pretty one-sided. We now move to an incredibly disappointing night on Friday night if you were a Waratahs fan. But as you can see from what I'm wearing, up the Rebels, getting up at home 34 I'm a Moana Pacifica fan tonight as well. So, <laughs> Mate, I love don't that throw jersey. It to me. That's up there as one of the best jerseys that's been released. Um, 
So yeah, mate, it's good. It's, it's gold. Anyway, the Rebels, I think, surprised a lot of tipsters when they came out of the gates and were able to back up a really strong performance, even though it was a loss against the Hurricanes in Super Round, and really play an up-tempo physical game that just stifled the Waratahs' ability to be uh, consistent in the way in which they held the ball and played their own match. So the Rebels were entirely deserving of this win. Mitch, a couple of players from your perspective that stood out either for good or ill reasons? I mean, I'm, I'm kicking myself here because I've got Carter Gordon as one of my, uh, in, in our fantasy comp, I've got Carter Gordon and I've benched him for the last three weeks. And going into this round, I was sort of questioning. I've got Stephen Perifetta and um, and Carter Gordon as my sort of fly half options. And I've sort of been thinking for the first two weeks, Carter Gordon has actually outscored Perifetta. And so I was like, do I, is this the week that I swap him around? What do I do it? Do I don't? And he had a blinder. He had his best game ever, Carter Gordon. He looked really, really good in that 10 position. He was setting up plays around him. He was scoring tries. He was just doing everything. So... I didn't do it, and I'm just kicking myself when I wish I did. Yeah, completely understood. Um, I'm actually going to jump ahead to a question from Robin D coming in on Twitter, who's asked, is Carter Gordon in the selection mix for France? Can the Brumbies go all the way this year? Let's focus on Carter Gordon. Um, is he in the selection mix for France with Eddie Jones? It's it's a tough one. Like He's had three good games, and he's looking better and better every minute that he gets, but he just doesn't have that level of experience at the, or the experience at that level. Uh, he didn't feature for Australia A last year. Like he, It's going to be a big jump for him from Super Rugby Pacific into international test rugby. And look, I, I think he, he's definitely going to be a Wallabies player in the future. No doubt about it. But I just don't know if we need to rush him in at this stage. Like Noel Alessio is looking good, touch and go at times, but he's got at least three years in the international setup. He knows what sort of his body need where his yep. body needs to be to be able to ready to play international rugby. Whereas throwing Carter Gordon in and how many tests do the Wallabies have before the World Cup starts? Like five? five. Uh it I think it's just it's just too it's too rushed and that's not let's not throw him in. If we get injuries, if we do if like if it comes down to it, there's injuries, Quaid's not available, you know, uh Foley's not available, Noah's down, maybe. <laughs> maybe he makes it work. That's that's a lot but of maybe. At this stage, yeah. I wouldn't. Exactly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. Yeah. I wouldn't be betting on it. Yeah. Look, uh, for me, it's a flat no. Um, absolutely no way. He doesn't play with enough of the international players week in, week out at the Rebels. Um, just simply no. He will not be in the Wallaby squad. So, or he will not be on the plane to France. I should say in this in this year. Um, moving forward, though got a great Wallabies career ahead of him and I hope there's many, many opportunities for him down a track as he gets more experience. A um, couple of other players that stood out. I thought Trevor Hosea had good opportunities and he's getting back into fitness and impact within the game. Dickie Hardwick continues to just be red and angry and just have really significant involvements every single week. He was great. Uh, Lockie Anderson had a well, well taken try. Um, Reese Hodge also went through for an awesome try within 23rd minute. It was just really impressive to see. That's the... another Reese Hodge. I don't don't yep. don't even mention him. I've had him in my fantasy team for the last two weeks. <laughs> he's done nothing. So I dropped him for Dalgunu this week, and he scored tries. He set up tries. He's kicking goals. He's Free done everything. And so I, yep. mean, I haven't seen the fantasy scores yet, but it's not burning well. 
14 points, uh, 14 points scored on your bench, mate. Sucked in. Um, but on the reverse. No, uh, I dropped it. Like I, I subbed him. Like I didn't let's, even let's, drop him. Let's like, move on. Compl- let's let's move him. on. They don't, they don't care about our fantasy teams. They don't care about our fantasy teams. Um, but from a Waratahs perspective, it wasn't all doom and gloom. I think there were some players that probably didn't have their best nights. I thought Noangani Tawase had a couple of good involvements and he is continuing to grow in confidence. Um, I think that Tane Edmed's kicking is a real strength and we'll talk more about the importance of kickers when we get to the Drua match versus the Crusaders, but he's, he's pretty reliable and his conversion in the 82nd minute after Tulane CU's um, try in the 81st was the thing that sealed the bonus point for our loss. And even though the Waratahs lost, they had a bonus point, which will come to be really important at the end of the season. So that's that's something positive to take away, that they didn't give up even though the game was lost. Yeah, I still think uh, for the Waratahs, I'm just, I don't feel like their back line is settled. I don't feel like it's working as efficiently as it should or it can. And whether that's Ed Med at 10 or the fullback position, I'm just not really sure what it is. I think we need to see a little bit of variety there. Will Harrison being fit and coming back this week gives Darren Coleman the option to start shifting players around. I think it's time that we see Donaldson play 10. He needs to get involved. I don't think he's getting involved enough at fullback. I also don't think that Ed Med, when playing at fly half, is really unlocking the centers and the wingers around him. Um, so, yeah, whether we need to bring in Donaldson to fullback, uh, bring in Harrison to fullback and shift uh, Donaldson to 10 with Ed Med going down to the bench or how it works. I just think we need to change something because the back line at the moment just doesn't seem to be firing as well as it should be. No, definitely not. My really quick take on that is that um, Parisi's massively out of form uh, and Peach is unavailable as well. When you add in the fact that Beal was never available for the Waratahs after his um, his conviction, no, he hasn't been convicted yet, his charges, um, means that yep. we, our back three actually is quite um, understaffed or undermanned. So the fact that Nadolo had to play such large minutes this week, we don't really have a set 15 is concerning. So I think when Peach is back available again, that will provide more options in that back three. And it might even see someone like um, Masisi Tupilotu come in and give um, uh, Parisi a rest. Uh, Too many centres with P starting their names. Um, Yeah, might (laughs) might give Parisi a rest because he is coming back from a pretty significant injury as well. So he may not be in full kind of fitness or form. But either way... Either way, we've just spoken yep. for about five minutes on the Waratahs when it was actually the Rebels that won the game. Well, so congratulations um, to the Rebels. I think we'll skip this next game, the Drew Crusade, because we'll talk about that in Match of the Round and we'll move to the Blues and the Hurricanes. Yeah, totally. So the Hurricanes playing at home, 19 to 25 to the Blues. This came down to the wire and it was the Blues um, being able to hold on in defence in the final plays of the game, which actually resulted in the eventual win. The Hurricanes did have the opportunity to steal it right at the end. This was a very, very high quality game. Lots of attacking opportunities from both teams. Incredible play, incredible skill. Really good game to go back and watch just for uh, the physical nature of the encounter. Mitch, a couple of quick comments comments on this before we move on. To be completely honest, I haven't seen this game. Uh, <laughs> couldn't fit no all worries. in this weekend of rugby. And so I skipped over some of the Kiwi games and just looked at the results. So yep. I'll wear that. 
Okay, let's wear that and just move on. All I'll simply say, since we're talking about fantasy, is that a whole bunch of my fantasy players scored tries in that game, so I was very happy. All right, Brumbies versus Mate, no one the cares. Reds. No one cares. <laughs> well said, Mitchell. Well said. Um, Brumbies versus the Reds. Brumbies held on to a um, very strong against a very strong Reds team, twenty-three to seventeen. Mm. This was not a comfortable victory although the Brumbies were definitely the better team. I think the Reds will come away from this happy with a losing bonus point, considering the fact that they were outplayed by a better team. Uh, But at the same time, there were some really good moments from Reds players and Brumbies players. This was an entertaining game. So firstly, how good is James O'Connor's hair? And then secondly, how good was his chip kick over the top for that awesomely taken try from Pattaya on the wing. It was just it was just yeah. audacious. I loved it. I've got it. I guess go the first point around O'Connor's hair. I uh, I was watching the replay and I froze freeze framed when O'Connor was looking away from the camera. It was just the back of his head. And I said to my wife who sort of follows a little bit of rugby now, she can't not. I said, "Who do you think that is?" And she didn't know she thought it was a new player and then kept going. He turned around and she she reckons he looks 10 years younger. With hair, I mean, last year mm-hmm. he didn't have any hair. He had the skin tight. Uh, but geez, he's looking good, isn't he? Yep. And that's what you want from rugby players. You want them to be like highly skilled individuals, but you want them to look good whilst they're doing it. Which is why Pete Simon's tuck shirt just gets um, rave reviews every single time he plays. Well said. Well played. Um, but actually, getting back into the match, I think Jordy Pattaya is having a blinder of a season at 15. He is really putting his hand up for that Wallabies 15 spot at the World Cup. So great to see. Long may he continue to battle that out with Tom Wright. I think um, it was well said within our Discord that um, Pattaya needs to improve with his execution at times because he can at times kind of drop balls um, or have a wayward pass, whereas Wright at times is incorrect with his decision making and it's easy to fix execution than it is decision making so whoever it was in discord well said um i really think at this point pataya's got the got the wood over i'm right at this point in the season but we're only three rounds in who else from this match stood out to you i think what's really exciting about just on the pataya before we move on what's really good to see so far this year is that pataya's actually got through a lot of work and one of the kind of criticisms of him as a player for the last few years is that, yes, he's got potential, but he would pick up injuries so often and he was just so sporadic in the amount of games he could play because he was sort of consistently injured. And this year, I mean, I was watching this game. There was a few times where he took a big hit and was sort of lying down and I was thinking, geez, get up, mate. You're playing too good. Don't get an injury now. And he did. Like, to his credit, he got up and he and he kept going and he, he kept um, having involvement. So... It is good to see that he's obviously taken some time in the off-season to get his body right. His head's in a good spot. He's performing really well. It looks like he's enjoying playing fullback as well as opposed to potentially the wing. Um, and he's having some really good involvement. So the more that he get, the more time he gets on the at fullback, I think the better because, as you said before, that, comp, that 15 jersey for the Wallabies is really heating up between himself and Wright. Yep. Yep, very well said there. A um, couple of other players, I think Wallace here had a really good game. Um, he was able to start this week with with uh, Nick White inside of him. So Debrecen and Lonigan were on the bench. And uh, Wallace here had a pretty good game. couple of shaky moments early on, but then he settled into the match, some decent kicking, and he had a really, really good line break at one point within the match as well. 
So um, good to see him get a bit of that confidence back, starting again for the Brumbies. And also for the Reds, I mean, Fraser McWright and Harry Wilson just continue to be an absolute menace for opposition uh, defences. I love the battle between Valentini and Wilson. That was brilliant to watch. The two of those big boys just going at each other and not wanting to back down as they're both kind of fighting for that number eight position within the Wallabies setup. Um, so that was it was a really entertaining game and the Reds have turned things around massively since their absolute dancing at the hands of the Hurricanes. So well done to them. They defied my expectations and I'm hoping that they can continue to play well, but particularly pick up some New Zealand scalps moving forward and stop taking points off. I think uh, one of the points. elements that was that saw the Reds really push the Brumbies right to full time was the involvement of James O'Connor. And when he came on from the bench, and no disrespect at all to Tom Liner, he's a great young talent. He's going to be a good player in the future. And he didn't play badly at all. But when you, when a player of O'Connor's experience and skill comes on, you could see that they uh, they sort of took things to another level. He was able to sort of get the ball to places that Liner just wasn't getting it, out, uh, unlock his outside backs a little bit more, give them that time and freedom and space to do things with the ball that really challenged the Brumbies. And so it was a really positive involvement from O'Connor. We know that he's that kind of player that really they rely on to p- to p- perform well. So it's good to see that he's back and he's playing well again. And that hopefully now if they can get consistent minutes from him um, at fly half, it'll be beneficial for the whole sort of 23. Yeah. Moving on to the final game of the round before we jump into the match of the round. You had the force getting up over Moana Pacifica 21 to 18. And I would like to claim that my tip of Moana winning was actually pretty accurate right until the end where a comedy of errors from the Moana team gifted this game to the Force. So the Force were very lucky to get away with this, even if they did have some good moments throughout the match. Um, Another thing I want to say about the Force, thank you very much, Force players, for basically saving up all of the cards for Australian rugby players across the weekend and then just having your team infringe and get all the cards across the weekend. So thank you. I think you finished the game with 13 players but still managed to win, so that's genuinely pretty positive for you guys. Um, but, in, I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen the end of this match, mate, but I'll just quickly run you through it anyway. Yeah. Um, the uh, Okay, so Moana get the opportunity to get a goal line dropout at 22, or goal line dropout to clear the ball. The game's in the final like minute of the match. Um, Will Havili goes to clear it, and it gets charged down by, like, one of the force props just jumping from the line, just jumping with his hands in the air. Um, And then one of the reserve forwards for Moana, Jonah Ma'u, he didn't expect the ball to be deflected into him and he drops it. And so the force get a scrum on right in front of the sticks and basically push over twice and eventually the penalty is given for them to just slot it over. They, I'm not saying they didn't deserve it because that's not true. They obviously were within the match and able to be at that point, but it was very fortunate that they were able to be in that position considering what should have been a routine clearance just didn't go to plan. So um, disappointing for Moana. Very, very happy Force fans, no doubt, coming away with the win and getting the points on the board at what will be a crucial part of the season or crucial element later on in the season for finals placings. I mean, look, I guess uh, say what you want around how they won and what they did. Like they, Bryce Hagerty had a shot from near halfway with like two or three minutes to go and he missed it. 
which kind of really was going to take them to overtime. And then they ended up getting that penalty right on full time to kick it. But they're, they're two from three. Yep. They've got two victories and one loss so far this season. The Waratahs are one from three. So we can say what we want as Tars fans as much as we want, but the Force have found ways to win. They haven't done it well and they haven't looked good doing it, but they've won. And I think that's really all you can sort of say at the end of the day, right? <laughs> Look, but they've also, the two games that they've won uh, against the first up Rebels, who um, had some good moments, but didn't play as well as the Rebels have the last two weeks. And then they got absolutely yeah. demolished by 51 points to the Reds and then only just beat Moana, who are one of the weaker teams in the competition. So yeah, yep, one, two from three. And if I was a Force fan, I would probably be happy with two from three. As a Waratahs fan, I'd be happy with two from three right now. Um, but yeah. I think the season is going to get a lot harder for them moving forward. And for the next game, they're away to the Highlanders, then the Blues, then the Hurricanes, and then the Waratahs. So they've got four away games in a row. And realistically, I think maybe the Highlanders are probably the ones that are the best bet of playing because they're playing the Waratahs at the back of a long tour. So it's, it's a hard road ahead for them, but hopefully... Hopefully they get to take more wins off the and more points off the New Zealand teams. Yeah, exactly. I mean, injuries seem to be something that's sort of really... Injuries and concussions are things that are really hurting this force team at the moment. From the 32-player squad that they announced pre-season and the 23 that they announced this week, there's like four blokes in there that weren't even named. Like, they've signed Warren Vossiatho from... Rabuni Warren Vossiatho from essentially Shoot Shield as injury cover for uh, Wells, who got concussed in training this week. So, you know, they're, they're pulling players left, right, and center, and it's a little bit of a shamble at the moment. But give them time. Give them players that know the structure. I think they will start to throw things together a little bit more. Yes, these next few weeks will be tough for them. But they've, they've shown enough, I think, at the moment to at least stick with teams. Um, which isn't something that some of the other teams in the comp have necess- not necessarily done. So they've got wins. Let's, I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to <laughs> scrape the barrel and not sort of highlight players who were amazing because realistically, this game wasn't great. Like there was a lot of errors by both teams. And in some ways it was kind of like, who was who was going to lose this game more so than win it? Correct. Well, mate, why don't we move into our match of the round now, which was the Fijian and Drua versus the Crusaders played at home for the Drua in Lautoka. And it was an absolutely packed crowd, incredibly vocal. The atmosphere was immense. Even listening to Greg Clark um, do the commentary, there were times where he could barely be heard over the surge and the vocals of the crowd. It was absolutely amazing. So. With all that in mind, I mean, look, how do we want to do this, mate? Do we want to just talk about the fact that Crusaders lost to the Fiji and what that means about their season aspirations? Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Where do we start with this? This is such a momentous momentous occasion for the Fiji and Indrua, and they've come close for the last two weeks, and they've put in good performances where they won that first game against Moana. But uh, last week... Not so great against the Waratahs due to injuries and concussions and and all those sorts of things. So to see them come in and put a really good, strong performance out in front of their home fans in the Toka against the reigning championship champions, the Crusaders, fantastic. And they you got to take your hat off to the Indrua. They played some really, really good rugby 
and they put the Crusaders under a lot of pressure and made them do un-Crusader-like things. Very uncharacteristic performance from them. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, there was there's just so much that you can take away from this game in terms of how good the Drua were. But also, there was a whole bunch of points left on the board as well. So, Teddy Teller's kicking was absolutely woeful from the tee. He missed one penalty and three conversions. So that's six, that's nine points that were left out on the field. They also bombed a couple of tries as well um, in the 35th and 42nd minute as well uh, in positions where you'd really be expecting them to score tries. So there's another 10, potentially 14 points that's left on the field. Whereas the Crusaders only bombed one try, which was Sam Whitelock in the 17th minute where he dropped it. Um, over the line, Frank Lamani got a hand in as he was falling down and knocked it out. And so there were yeah. all of these opportunities that um, the Drua had. They were actually, I think, better than the Crusaders. But the real difference that you could see was this difference in style. So you look at the run meters throughout the game, and mm-hmm. the run meters are 522 to 322, right? Um, so the very clear difference in style. Every single one of the... Um, every single one of the Crusaders' tries was either directly from a line-out drive. So of their four tries, three of them were two hookers. So Quinn and McDonald got a double, mm-hmm. and then Moananu got um, a single as well. But then Severis's try in the 74th was off the back of a line-out drive that eventually went to ground, sucked in defenders. He had room out wide to score the try. So all of it was based upon that set-piece play. But the Drewer, on the other hand, they had almost all of theirs being incredible running rugby breaks gaps up the middle pushing hard such a difference in style which made for an incredibly entertaining game and it's one of the things that we've seen like the drawer try to pull off in previous games a little bit this year more so towards the end of last year that they were willing to throw the ball around but it it at times it was like their uh, their handling wasn't quite up to to the level it was required and they drop the ball or they'd end up passing it to the ground or they'd knock it on and then make mistakes. And so they were in a lot of ways, their own worst enemy and kept giving the ball to the opposition where this game, like the ball was, it it was like a ping pong ball at times. They were just throwing it around like nothing and passes were sticking, cutout passes were going to hand these offloads, like over the top of players, heads around the back to, to players. Like I think it was the last try they scored. Uh, the number seven ends up getting the ball on on the sideline, makes a break, and he's sort of joshing the fullback, like, are you going to tackle me? You're not. You're going to tackle me? You're not. And then one-handed offloads to the winger who goes over in the corner to score the try. And, like, it was such exciting rugby. They played really, really exciting rugby. And they, they took the Crusaders out of it in a lot of ways. Yep, definitely. So... In some ways, I don't think this is a case of the um, Crusaders lost, but it's more the Fiji and Drua won. Uh, I think some of that can come down to selection choices the Crusaders made in terms of having to rest a bunch of the All Blacks and bring in a bunch of um, less experienced players as well. I mean, every team is going to have to do that throughout the season, and you can understand why the Crusaders would have thought they still had a strong enough team to win away from home because they did have a lot of very very talented players within their within their 23 but credit has yeah, to go to close. the drawer. yeah they did they did and credit has to go to the drawer. they were immense within this game it was a fantastic match awesome to watch and uh man that clutch kick at the end for camu camu valentini the brother of bobby valentini at the brumbies 
um, to, yeah. to steal the win. That must have been an incredible moment for him. It was his first kick within the game. On debut as well. On debut, first yeah. kick within the game. He scores the winning penalty to beat the Crusaders at home. Like That is fairy tale. That is just an incredible story that he'll be able to tell at every kind of gathering with mates and friends and family. It's going to be good for him. Such an exciting story. And just like, as you said previously, like the, the Druid did so well in this game. They didn't, they, they left points out on the field and they didn't score tries. But in the 65th minute, they were 10 points ahead of the Crusaders. And you don't often see that. You don't see teams able to set that bigger gap from a team like the Crusaders. They're normally like two or three points ahead and are either good enough to sort of get it over the line at the end or the Crusaders come back and either get a penalty or score a try on full time to win it. And we did see that. Like they scored a try on full time. They came within a point uh, and they got ahead on the scoreboard in regulation time. It was only when they got the Drua came back, attacking in the 22, got the penalty and kicked it to go ahead by one point and win the game. Like that, that's a really, really strong performance by this Indrua team. And you could see it. Not only were the players excited, but I thought that stadium was going to come down at full time. There were people <laughs> going nuts. The trees outside the, the stadium were shaking, shaking like there was an earthquake yep. going on. <laughs> Mate, um, one of the interesting things, though, is you look at that last play where the Drua get the penalty in front of the sticks. Uh, so it was Yuani Moananu, who is the one who gives away the penalty there. He was the reserve hooker. And it was his debut for the Crusaders. And you actually saw in all the rucks prior to that last one where the penalty was given away, that the Crusaders actually weren't competing at the ruck. They were just standing back and soaking up the pressure, trying to allow the Druid to make a mistake without giving away a penalty. And it was all the experienced players that were doing so. But then you have this player on debut who's obviously um, nervous, heart rate's going a million miles an hour, just scored what he thought might well be the winning try within the game who makes the wrong decision. And that's that's a decision based upon inexperience. And so you can basically say that the decision to have less experienced players is the thing that costs the Crusaders this game. Yeah, the Druid were fantastic, but at the same time, the lack of experience of some of the reserve players for the Crusaders uh, were directly responsible for the situation that led to the Druid winning. Like speaking to that point, the Crusaders made eight changes from their starting 15 the week before. Like when you make that many changes to a 15, there's going to be changes in consistency and that's what we saw and one of the things too like speaking around that point of the decision to go for the um the the breakdown steal if he hasn't played a lot of super rugby he wouldn't be aware that the referees this year particularly are really really breaking down and and looking at players being on the ball and not going off over the feet and like um, supporting their body weight with their hands. Like they put their hands on the ground first and then they sort of slide back onto the ball. That's something that super rugby referees this year are really focusing on. And in lower grades, he probably would have got away with that. He might've even got a penalty for being getting the steal, but at super rugby this year, it's not good enough and you need to be on the ball. You can't be on the ground first. And so that's where, as you said, that inexperience comes into it. Um, I guess just summarizing this whole thing, like fantastic performance by the Indrua. It's great to see them get such a result against a team like the Crusaders. The Crusaders are now one from three. This it's not their worst start in Super Rugby for a number of years, but it's it's close. What well, what's going on there? Like we expect the Crusaders to be pumping teams early in the season, and it's just not happening at the moment. 
Well, I think I think what we can say is that the two games that they've lost are understandable losses in that they came up against an absolutely red-hot Chiefs team in the first game of the season and they got beaten by a better team. Mm-hmm on a day. So, okay, fair enough. Take the loss, move on. They then came back with an absolute vengeance and it was a Highlanders, right? That they destroyed in round two. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they round. came back, yeah, destroyed the Highlanders in super round. And then they made a whole bunch of changes to their team. And much like Australia versus Italy in the spring tour, that um, inconsistency between the teams, lack of connection, relationship, all that jazz between the players uh, led to their loss within this game. So I don't think the Crusaders are as bad as one and three. Um, I think that they mm. have made a bad decision this week in terms of resting too many players at the one time, or they took a risk and that risk backfired on them. But when they have their full squad or the majority of their players available, then they're still basically one of the top three teams alongside the Crus- alongside the Chiefs, the Blues, and then throw the Brumbies into the mix as well for the top four. I'm just bringing up the Super Rugby table just to, to counter-argument there, and I know I'm cautious of time, so we will move on to the locker room in a second. Uh, but the Crusaders are currently ranked eighth, so they're down on eighth place at the moment. Uh, where is it? Fixtures. I've got it. Yep. You've got it there? What are, so the Crusaders are in eighth, and I think the Chiefs are in first. What yep. What's the points that the Chiefs are on in terms of? 15, 12 for the Brumbies, 10 for the Blues, 10 for the Hurricanes. And then it drops down to 8 for the Drua and Force. And so the Crusaders are on 6 points. So the Crusaders are on 6 points. The Chiefs are on 15. Now, you can say what you want around um, not getting those wins, but it just means that currently the Chiefs are that far ahead. And so the Chiefs do have tougher games coming up. The Crusaders have t- tougher games too. But it'll be interesting to see how what they need to do to be able to claw their way back up to the top of the table because realistically they need to finish in the top two to be able to secure a home final. Yep. And so we, we there's a long way to go for this Crusaders team. There really we, is. We're not used to seeing that in Super Rugby. So that's exciting. That's just exciting as a fan that someone else is potentially leading the competition. It's not the Crusaders. Without a doubt, mate. Long may it continue anybody but the Crusaders and England. So why don't we move on to the locker room now? Let's do it. So we're now into locker room. This is the section where we answer your questions, our fans' questions. If you're sitting at home listening to this or driving or wherever you are listening or watching this and you want to get involved, do go on our socials. We send this out on predominantly um, Twitter, sometimes Instagram. But if you've got a question, you can also send us a DM on any of the platforms and we'll make sure to include it as well. So anything you want to chat about, do send it in. Uh, and do you want me to run through this, Ando? No, Ask I'll the go questions, Or I'll are you happy it. to do it? I'll go through it quickly. So yep. Joe Elliott, Eddie likes to use a lock slash six, which current lock only playing at lock would best suit a Laws or Detroit role. So does that question make sense to you? It does to me and I've thought about it. Eddie likes to use a lock six, which current, which current lock only playing lock would you suit? Would suit best playing. So for me, what's I'll your answer first? Your you go first. Um, Nick Frost, without yep. a doubt. So he is the one who I think has a mobility and speed required also for a number six, but also has the height and the physicality required for the locking position as well. So he's probably the closest to that Courtney Laws. He's not as physical as um, Peter Steftertoit, but yeah, I think that he could play at six if required. Mm. Do I have an option outside of him? Um, I mean, I guess I'd say... It'd have to be uh, Jed Holloway because he's playing second row at the moment for the Waratahs and only playing second row. 
But yep. I, I put I think Eddie Jones would use him as a six there, not a second row. So yep. that would be my selection outside of Frost. All right, let's move on. Ed Morton, is this the year the Drua really make a statement and go deep in a competition? And how much of a home ground advantage do they have? Is there any hope for the Force this year? Even though they beat Moana, it definitely wasn't convincing. And now they have three away games in New Zealand in a row, which is a difficult task for any team. Go the Force. I'll do the first part. You do the second. Uh, I don't think this is the year the Drua make a statement yet. I am not convinced they've got the depth of experience within the squad to be able to do so. And I wonder if, as the latter part of the season comes around, if there might be issues in terms of kind of conditioning and fitness and that kind of thing. But the home ground advantage makes such, such a difference. So very excited to see how they go. And hopefully they do go deep into the competition this year. Mitch? I mean, I, I tend to disagree with you on that point, And I'll just quickly to say it, that like they've already beaten two teams and they will, on current form of how teams are going, they'll beat the Force. They could beat the Rebels. It'll be a tight game. And currently, they'll beat the Waratahs when they play them again. Okay. So and that is could, there any hope? Those victories could be enough to scrape them into the, the finals. Is there any hope for the Force this year? No. <laughs> I don't think so. That is harsh. No, but I think they're going to really struggle in this um, four-match away sequence. It's going to be really, really difficult for them. And if they come away with one win from the four, I think that's almost a pass mark for them in that um, in that sequence of games. All right, Lincoln Adler, what has a better turning circle, a 75-series Land Cruiser Ute or Namani Nadolo? Also, how much better is Nadolo than Sonny Bill Williams at commentating? Mitch. <laughs> Oh, geez, he got found out this week, didn't he? And those two tries when they just put the ball behind him, like, he looks slow. He he really did look slow on the turn there. And so well done to the Rebels to seeing that and to, to, to capitalizing on that. And um, Sonny Bill, look, I, I kind of mute the TV whenever he comes on. I, I can't stand him personally. I do know a lot of people like the interaction that he has with, like, the Pacifica players and being able to interview them well and sort of speaks their language, so to speak so to say, but uh, in terms of just, I guess, general input into the coverage, I personally think that it would be better without him. I just wonder if he has the skill set to be able to do the role well. We were down um, outside Alliance for round one and he was doing one of those kind of walk and talks up the road as a crowd was streaming in. <laughs> and there were two things that I noticed there. One was it took him about seven or eight goes to get a take that could actually be used. And I knew, I know because I was watching him do it as I was waiting for you to get a car park um and then the second part yeah. was the amount of kids and fans that came up to him and were really excited to see him so he he is a star attraction for a lot of people really recognizable really well liked by um by people outside of kind of your general rugby union circles and kids all around the place loved him uh so maybe he needs to shift roles slightly in the way that he's used but mm. tim foster Yep. Is it time for DC to play around with the back line? Should he shift Donaldson to 10 and maybe Harrison to fullback? Or do you think Jorgensen is ready to play fullback yet? Mitch? Yeah, good one. Um, I I sort of alluded to it earlier. I do think there needs to be some tinkering there. I think Jorgensen's going to be our long-term option at fullback. Uh, it's just whether he's ready to play there. And currently, I don't think this is the right time to make that decision. He's shown so far this season that he's up to super rugby level. But he, like he's taken the hits, he gets back involved. But we're playing, what is it? We're playing the Hurricanes this week and then Chiefs the, the Chiefs the week after. Is that? Yeah. So we've got two Kiwi teams who are in form. We need someone who's going to be secure under the high ball and, and be able to take the hits and to have confident involvement 
and having a young rookie there could potentially be a downfall. But at the same time, we might not have any other options. So I think, look, I'm 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 not paid the big bucks. I don't know which way DC goes. I think I would like to see Jorgensen get a crack there, but maybe against like Moana Pacifica or the Rebels or the Force later in the season. Sure. All right, Ben van der Linden. Who is the best available task forward at beating the A-line? Thought they really struggled to break the advantage line, especially the first half. So just on that point, Mitch, who's the best available task forward at beating the advantage line? It's got to be Lange Gleason, right? That yep. try, the, the the try, no try, like that break that he made, fantastic. And he just needed a Waratahs player to, to pop the ball to to score it and finish it off for him. Uh, Bell was the one before that, but with his injury, we're, we're sort of lacking in that department. Yep. So Lange Gleason's that big ball carrier at the moment. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so was that the best the Rebels will play all year? They appear to have a pod in their back line with multiple options and attack structures. I'm assuming POD capitalized means pod, so backline pods or forward pods. Um, yeah, I thought they played really, really well and they had a much clearer attacking shape than what I've seen previously. And Mitch, as you mentioned before, they had a really clear game plan to exploit Nemanja and Adolo, particularly with kicks in behind, which they did very, very well. The Brumbies controlled the game without looking great. How important is it for a team to be able to put in an honest shift and still win relatively comfortably? Mitch. Oh, massively. Like the Brumbies found ways to win that game. And whilst the Reds did well to sort of chase them down, realistically, the Brumbies had a try disallowed for questionable motives. Minutes from full time. Lalesio misses the kick, the shot at goal from the ensuing penalty, but they could have been ahead by a fair bit more. But they did enough and... They, they'd be kicking themselves that they allowed the Reds to get that losing bonus point. But, you know, as we said, teams need to find ways to win games and winning ugly is still good. Definitely. Joey Hoey come, gets involved and asks, the next three weeks are massive for the Waratahs season, playing the Hurricanes away, Chiefs at home and the Brumbies away. How concerned are you that the, that the Tars could be one to six to start the season? Or does the turnaround start now? And if so, how? I might answer this one. I'm really concerned. I think it's... Mm-hmm really really tough that we're going up against three of the top teams in the competition two of them away from home um so it could very well be one from six how are they going to turn things around well i think part of it is the return of ned hannigan and harry johnson holmes will help in providing a bit more forward experience and uh, particularly from harry maybe a little bit more running game um but that being said Teleni cu is starting to grow a little bit more into the game as well Uh, Tom Lambert is getting better with each match, although he's had to play a lot of minutes so far for a new player into Super Rugby. It's a really tough one. Mitch, your really quick read on this before we move on. Yeah, I mean, I could realistically see a situation where we are one from six. Like these three games are very losable, all three of them, even the Chiefs at home. Like, geez, you you wouldn't say that playing at home at the moment is giving the Waratahs any extra advantage over playing anywhere else. Um, just purely from form and the amount of people that are showing up to support them. I wonder, and like you said, Ando, I'm hopeful that players like Harry Johnson Holmes and then Hannigan coming back from injury do bring an impact. But we saw this week, even though when Harry Johnson Holmes came on, he looked good for minutes, but he gave away a lot of scrum penalties too. And so that um, preparation of just that game fitness that we don't have like a system where we can bring him in and get him up to speed, like the shoot shield say, and bring him up to scratched to go into super rugby, they're a little bit underdone. Ned got injured in the trial and hasn't played since. So we expect him to come in and have positive and big involvements as well, but he um he might not. 
Yeah, let's see how it goes, and hopefully we don't have one from six. Mick Ryan. Noah is in an uphill battle to make the Rugby World Cup squad. Form isn't great, and Eddie doesn't have the same investment in him as the previous administration. Do you think Noah will be on the plane? Uh, at the moment, I think so, yeah. I think we might need to take three fly halves. Um, at the moment, Noah's probably the second one, and that third potentially is... is Jeez, oh, I don't know, but at the moment, it's probably... I don't know. But yeah, I think at the moment he's he's in the first. He's, yeah. He's probably. in the top three. He's in the top three. Um, kick the yep. ref and the ghoulies. Does Eddie just put the Brumbies in a World Cup this year? Is it Corey Hotline or just Hotline? The kid's electric. How good the state is sucking. I hope it lasts. England also sucked. Frogs out. Frogs put 50 on them at Twickers. And the Rebels are naughty mullet boys who ruined my and everyone's tips. Look, as much as I'm wearing a Rebels jersey right now, I actually find it quite dirty for me to wear this because of the amount of mullets that are within that Rebels team. And I don't like it. I'm just putting it out there on a record. I don't like mullets and I don't think I ever will. They look bad. You don't look good in, in wearing them. On the other point, the Corey Hotline is definitely the name for it, so we can make innumerable amounts of uh, Simpsons references. And yes, it's essentially just going to be the Brumbies with a few Waratahs players spread into the mix with James O'Connor because he looks so good. Now, Michael Tomlinson gets in touch, wondering how Filippo Dungunu is not in a chat for Wallaby's selection. He's been one of the Reds' best this year. And do you think the Brumbies have the best defense in Super Rugby? Standouts for the weekend were James O'Connor, Frost, and Dickie Hardwick. So. Mitch, why is Filippo Dunguni not in the chat for Wallaby selection? I think uh, just the brain farts that he has, and he hasn't—he's he, had good involvements this so far this season, but he still makes some mistakes, and he he gives away reckless penalties and things, which at the moment other wingers ahead of him aren't doing. So he needs to address that a little bit more in his game. Yeah, very well said. And do you think the Brumbies have the best defense in Super Rugby? I think they're up there. Their ruck. Um, defense is absolutely amazing well ruck attack i guess in a way of saying it is absolutely amazing counter ruck counter rucking thank you um and yeah yep. i would agree that james o'connor frost and hardwick were all very very strong across the weekend another from mick ryan aside from the highlanders oh can new zealand support five teams great question mick we'll ask that one again the entire round was bloody close with some upsets thrown in as well shout out to fiji and Drewer. thank you very much mick Andy asks, what are the pros and cons of having either Wright or Pattaya at fullback? And were there any other players putting their hand up for that position? Mitch? Uh, I guess the the pros of having Wright over Pattaya is purely that he seems like he's got a little bit of a stronger body and he doesn't succumb to those injuries as much as Pattaya does. Um, but I think Pattaya brings more of an electric game and has like he can make things from nothing more so than what Wright does. Uh, but I feel more assured that Wright could take a massive hit by some Fijian or, um, and get back up and be play on, whereas Pattaya might roll around winded for a little while. So those are, from, those are my thoughts. Yeah, he's a bit of a glass cannon, isn't he? Whilst I really like the, um, like the kid. I say is someone who's not He's getting better. He is getting better. Yeah, he is. He is, without a doubt, and he's had a good season so far. I hope it continues. Um, other players putting their hand up? No, not really. I think it's between those two. With Kellaway out injured at the moment, um, there isn't anybody else that's really competing for that 15 spot. Um, Thallium, yep. big moments. Wins by the Rebels, Drua and Force. All three needed it. The Drua win being the tastiest. Standout players, Anstey, Kalapu, Carter Gordon, Ikatau, and Muirhead all being good. Good shout on Muirhead. He just does everything well. He doesn't do anything in a really standout way. But he rarely dies with the ball. He rarely gets pushed out into touch. He rarely gives knock-ons and stuff like that. So well done to him. Um, Nadolo and Vinovalu both weren't great. 
And the Western Force, I can't read this because there's a thing in the way on my screen. Uh, Western Force doing taking all the red and yellow cards on the last game of the weekend so other teams didn't have to. Thank you. Thank you, Thalium. Really appreciate that insight. And thanks, Mitch, for reading that. And then last one, we already mentioned this from Robin D. Is Carter Gordon in a selection mix for France? We've answered that. Can the Brumbies go all the way this year? I think they're the best of the Australian teams, and we kind of thought that coming into the season. Mitch, are you still of the same opinion, that they're the best Aussie hope? Yeah, definitely the best Aussie hope. I still wonder whether they can get their best 23 on the field for like a long time. Like Alan Altoe is out at the moment with a concussion and we've got such a long season to go. In saying that, when the reserves come on, they look good too. But when you're going up in a, in a semi-final against the Blues like they did last year, you need your whole squad firing. So yep. it's a little bit premature at the moment. They look good so far though. Yep, agreed. And hopefully the kind of 12 can get sorted as well. Oli Safford played pretty well in the weekend. Um, but yeah, losing Ira, Ira Simone is a really big hole that they're still trying to fix. So Mitch, that brings us to the end of the pod. And it's a bit of a longer one. The news took a while because there was a lot to get through, but also there was just so much quality rugby over the weekend, mate, that it's taken us this long to get through it. It's been a pleasure. Any final things you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, just good rugby. Um, I'm really enjoying how competitive Super Rugby is this year. Mm. Like there's no games that really are easy to pick. Uh, they can go either way and we've seen a few upsets already this season and this round particularly had a lot so i'm really liking that it feels like anyone on their day can beat anyone um it doesn't feel like the crusaders and then anyone else so i'm really enjoying the competitiveness of the, of super rugby this year and if you're not getting involved and watching it get involved like turn it on it's great just do it what are you doing it's a bad idea do it yeah um so ladies and gentlemen it's been an absolute pleasure to bring you this podcast and uh mitch thank you for being here thanks for watching a lot of rugby over a busy weekend so you could know what you were talking about and we are very excited for round four and thanks everyone for picking the game i didn't watch that was really helpful (laughs) that was very funny keep doing it keep doing it um so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next time see you later bye Bye.